0: Good morning, Calvary Chapel Arrowhead. Everybody, take a deep breath. What a week! What a week, huh? What a sweet time of worship. Can we hear it for the praise and worship band? What an awesome time of of honoring our Lord. I pray that that He was there was a sweet, sweet sound in His ear, like it was to us. Um, got some announcements for us this morning. I'm encouraging everybody to take out their cell phone. If you have a a, a device, a cell phone, a smartphone, one of them their cellular device type things. <laughs> um, <laughs> the uh well I want to encourage you guys to look at your um phones or your laptops, your iPads, whatever, and go to cc arrowhead.com. And it's very quickly, even somebody who's technology challenged like myself can find their way to the Um, Bulletin and to the announcements and you can just go as we're going through this It'll be right on your phone. You can see the announcements on your phone Um, We're we the first announcement this morning is for turkeys for Tomahawks and uh, For those of you who don't know what that is that's Tomahawk Elementary where our own Marilyn Bond is the, the principal there who is not just the principal of that school, but she's a spiritual leader in that place, and loving on these little kids in uh, Maryville and Calvary Chapel, Arrowhead, you guys um, provided 100 turkeys for Tomahawk this year for Thanksgiving. So praise the Lord. That's almost a turkey for every one of us turkeys that are here, right? <laughs> so that's awesome. That that what a blessing it is to those families and over the years we've done backpacks for tomahawk we've done christmas stuff for tomahawk pastor dennis has done um book uh, a book club for them and there's been a lot of relationship with that elementary so praise the lord is really cool ministry that Marilyn has opened up the door the lord has used Marilyn to open up the door for that that's what she would tell us she wouldn't take credit for it right Marilyn? no <laughs> okay uh next announcement men's breakfast Oh, wait, I missed one. Um, Our first Saturday night Bible study was last night with Pastor Dennis. Did anybody here make it to the Bible study last night? Nice, lots of hands, lots of hands. So I pray that was a blessing to you, and that's an opportunity. It's at um, 6.30 on Friday or on Saturday nights. And Pastor D is also going to be doing a Tuesday night study through 1 John on Zoom. And the study happens at 9 a.m. and 5 p.m. See the website and the Zoom links for information on that. Next Saturday, we have our men's breakfast, which is gonna be Saturday, November 14th, 8 a.m. at uh, Sam and Nita Hartman's residence. Um, Please RSVP if you can, so that we know how many to prepare for. And we look forward to what God's gonna do next week at the men's breakfast. Um, uh, Also, the following Saturday after that, so the next two Saturdays, we have men's things going on. We're going to be having a a men's hike. We're going to be hiking up into the White Tank Mountains. We're going to meet again at Sam and Nita's house at 7 o'clock, and we're going to leave promptly at 7.30. So if you're interested in that, um, see me or Sam for the details, and we'll get you hooked up. Um, And I believe that's it. That concludes our announcements for this morning. So I'm going to invite Pastor Dennis up for the reading of the word. And
1: he's already up there. Thank you, Roy. Ladies and gentlemen, Roy Rose. <laughs> All right. Before we do the actual call to the word, I want you to turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians fifteen, 58. 1 Corinthians fifteen, fifty-eight. you been heavy of heart since Tuesday? Some of you maybe not, and that's okay. I pray that you voted your conscience. I pray you voted your conscience. Um, I voted my conscience, and uh, here we are. 1 <laughs> Corinthians fifteen fifty eight says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Do you know who was the president of the world at the time Paul wrote this? A little guy by the name of Caesar Nero. Um, he was a total psychopath absolute psychopath. He would literally kill anybody who he felt was a power threat. And he stirred up unrest in almost every province that he was in charge of. And that's the backdrop for a fledgling church that's just beginning to exist. There's a lot of bigotry and racism that is abounding throughout the Roman Empire, especially anti-Semitism. And the Jews, which the which Christianity came out of Judaism, was seen as a subsect of Judaism, and the Jews did not want it to be associated with that subsect. It had a reputation going around were cannibals because they ate the body and drank the blood of Jesus Christ and they were incestuous because they gave and greeted one another with a holy kiss and that developed rumors and that went around and that's the rep the church had at the very beginning you think you're gonna have problems <laughs> That's the backdrop to, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Well, what is the greatest work of the Lord? Well, we learned last night in Thessalonians that the only work that we are to do is the work of faith, believing in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then we were to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love one another as we love ourselves. Now, eventually this is going to win over people. Eventually, it's going to make a big change. So much so, we sit here today 2,000 years later because of the influence of the Judeo-Christian ethic. We understand that this is all being challenged right now. But I, like I'm fond of saying, it ain't no thing but a chicken wing on a string. It's nothing. Let me read to you something Chuck Swindoll wrote concerning the 2012 election. There's a new virus going around. It's called P-E-B, the post-election blues. The symptoms, all stuff like moping around, whining, feeling a mixture of, some of self-pity and resentment and even smoldering anger. And even entertaining thoughts of moving to Tahiti or Australia <laughs> because your candidate didn't win. Well, I got news for you that won't help. The best antibiotic is to buck up, stand firmer than ever on solid, the solid rock of God's sovereignty and face the future with renewed confidence. No matter who's in office, nothing that happens in this old world, even in the election booth, surprises or frustrates our Lord. These words are still in the book. Psalm 75, verses 6 and 7. All right, buddy. For not from the east or the west. almost got it going there. (laughs) (laughs) For not from the east nor from the west nor from the desert comes exaltation. But God is the judge. Puts down one and exalts another. Somehow those words are easier to read when my candidate gets elected. They stick in my throat when other folks get in. You ever notice that? Then I happen across Solomon's proverb. Proverbs 21, 1. The king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. Remember Daniel? He lived victoriously through strong and weak national leaders. Yet he didn't hesitate to declare that heaven rules. Remember, we used to say that in school, right? Girls rule, guys drool, right? (laughs) Heaven rules. And that is the living God who changes the times and seasons. He sets up kings and deposes them. So. I suggest we start thinking theologically and acting responsibly. Both are hard, hard work. That's right. Recovering from a bad case of P.E.B. requires being hardy. The man or woman who is hardy can withstand adverse conditions, is firm in purpose, and has a vigorous outlook on life. We might say that many missionaries and most mountain climbers are hardy folk. The hardy person remains productive under difficult situations, all the while maintaining emotional, physical, and spiritual health. It should be remembered, however, that hardness, hardiness is not an inherent attitude, temperament, or gift. It's a quality that must be consciously developed. And that's the best treatment for PEB and a number of others. Um, Emma Willard, you guys know that name? Anybody know that name? Back in the day, she was a woman's right activist and dedicated her life to education. She said, the government of the United States is acknowledged by the wise and good of other nations to be the most free, impartial, and righteous government of the world. But all agree that for such a government to be sustained many years, the principles of truth and righteousness taught in the Holy Scriptures must be practiced. Okay, it's not talking about other folks, y'all. It's talking about all y'all. Okay? Practice. Practice. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Trust in him center verse in all the bible it's better to trust in God than it is to trust in princes. Get it? Amen. Amen? Amen. Now we can clap. All right. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Would you please stand in honor of God's word? And we're going to read in Exodus chapter 34 starting at verse 29. This is where we shift gears in the service now and focus our attention on what the Holy Spirit would say to us. Exodus 34, 29. <clears throat> when Moses came down Mount Sinai carrying the two stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant, he wasn't aware that his face had become radiant because he had spoken to the Lord. So when Aaron and the people of Israel saw the radiance of Moses' face, they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called out to them and asked Aaron and all the leaders of the community to come over, and he talked with them. Then all the people of Israel approached him, and Moses gave them all the instructions the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. When Moses finished speaking with them, he covered his face with a veil. But whenever he went into the tent of meeting to speak with the Lord, he would remove the veil until he came out again. Then he would give the people whatever instructions the Lord had given him. And the people of Israel would see the radiant glow of his face. So he would put the veil over his face until he returned to speak with the Lord. This is God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you give us your word as instructions to help us both navigate life wisely and also to have understanding about your principles and your precepts, your truth. We ask this morning that you would help us to unpack here what happened to Moses and show us how it applies to our lives today. I, I give you thanks that the word of God is relevant even today. Though this is written thousands of years ago, it has such relevancy. It has such power. And to those who will embrace it, it will transform their lives. So bless us now as we sit in your presence and sit at your feet and use me to speak words of encouragement and comfort to your people. I pray this in Jesus' name. And Everyone said, you may be seated. How many of you have ever had a really awesome time with the Lord, and I mean awesome in the best way, where it was just sweet and peaceful and exciting and invigorating all at the same time? Okay, one of you. No, okay. (laughs) If you've ever been on a retreat, like a men's retreat, you may have experienced that. If you've been on a woman's retreat, you may have experienced that. Hopefully you were a woman at the woman's <laughs> retreat, experiencing that. And it was like, a, like you were in a bubble, wasn't it? It was so precious, and the time was so sweet, and, and you didn't want to come down the hill. You didn't want to come back and go to work and meet the family, because that's where all the problems were. <laughs> Moses has been in the presence of the Lord, and he's glowing. What we call that today is afterglow, being in the presence of the glow, and that we have, have we're radiating it, we are reflecting that, that glory. What we're going to see today is that Moses' shining face is a visual aid for the people to see that God is still in the midst and that Moses is the chosen mediator. Now, there's a little bit of irony here. You see in Exodus 32, people had made a golden calf, right, to represent God. And he, as the one who brought them out of Egypt because they wanted a visual image of what god had done for them and this moses fellow they didn't know what happened to him well he's coming back down the mountain a second time and it's going to be a visual image of what god has done and will do and also a visual image to put god's stamp of approval on moses as the leader it is through the sight of a person transformed because of seeing God's glory that the people will see that God is truly in their midst. How many of you ever seen a transformed life? Maybe you've experienced one of your own. But you know that a person has come to Christ when you see what they were and then what they are. And it's radically different, radically different. I've told you many times, that my father coming to Jesus Christ was the most miraculous thing that ever happened since the virgin birth. <laughs> it absolutely proved that God lives. I knew what he was like. I grew up and I lived with him. And I saw a transformation. I came home one day and saw my dad playing on the floor with my four-year-old daughter, Denae. He never did. You know, I thought like Bill Cosby said, you know, he's just trying to earn his way to heaven now, (laughs) right? Being nice. This was not the man that raised me. He was transformed. He was humble. And you gotta know my dad. My dad was not a humble man. He was very proud. You've heard that that thing about pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Mm. Yeah, well, that was him. Self-made war hero. Business success. He was he was everything uh, a man's man. And yet God got a hold of him and transformed that life and he became God's man. What we're gonna see this morning is a glowing Moses and a humble Moses. That'll be verses twenty-nine through thirty. Then a teaching Moses, verses thirty-one through thirty-two, and then a veiled Moses and an unveiled Jesus, verses thirty-three through thirty-five. So Thank you, thank you very much. <laughs> I'm here every Sunday. Uh, Exodus 34, 29. <clears throat> Verse 29, it says, It was so when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hand when he came down from the mountain, that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone while he talked with him, as, as he was talking with so, when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. Now, the Hebrew word, verb for the word shone there, literally means shot forth beams. If you're thinking you know, like an iridescent glow after something has been in the microwave oven too long, you know, and it's radiating green or something, that's not it. These are beams of light shooting out of his face. I think I have a picture up there that kind of looks like it. I couldn't find a a decent picture, but that sort of gives you the idea. It's also related to a noun for horn. And that's why the Latin Vulgate has mistranslated the verb as having horns. The two words are very, very closely similar, spelled the same. So in a lot of medieval works of art, you'll see Moses, sporting a pair of horns on his head. Matter of fact, this statue is in Rome. Sherry and I went and we got to see it. And I told you, I didn't know this story at the time, and it kind of freaked me out. It's like, whoa, dude, that looks demonic, doesn't it? But that's exactly the way they were picturing it is that Moses came down. Now, of course, whether it was light shooting out of his face or horns on his head, that would probably freak anybody out, okay? So what we're seeing here is that Moses, his close communion with God, physically affected him. He was exposed to a divine radiation, if you will. Uh, John Kierrit calls it the the effulgent splendor of Almighty God. I don't know what effulgent means, but it's a big word and it sounds like it's really special. (laughs) We'd call it afterglow. Like the light or radiance remaining in the sky after the sun has set. Have you seen some of those sunsets in Arizona? It's just like that. And it leaves you sort of with a peaceful, easy feeling. But not so for the people around Moses, because when they notice his shining appearance, they were afraid to come near him. As a matter of fact, they ran from Okay, you know that you've got a problem when you come into your house and people are running away from you. But they did this before. Remember when the the mount at Mount God spoke, right, and and there was the thunder and the lightning and the smoke and the earthquakes, and the people split. They ran, and they're doing it again. It's scaring the living daylights out of them, all right? Um. Why is Moses' face glowing now? And not the first time he went up the mountain and got the Ten Commandments and came down, right? Well, the people had begun to question his authority. How do I know that? Well, because in the beginning of chapter 32, uh, they rejected him as their mediator. They were looking to find another one that would go before them and lead the way, and that was um, the cow and of course that was something that they were familiar with it was Apis it was a a cow that was designed in the image of Apis which was a god that they worshipped back in Egypt so God is needing to reestablish the prophet's authority in some way and this is the way he is doing it this is um, something that they would have been very very familiar with because you know the kings back in the day would claim to be deity, and they would claim to glow. Um, one commentator said, The significance of this, of this in, is that in ancient cultures in Mesopotamia, one of the things that kings often claimed as an attestation of their own divinity, their own relationships with gods, was a shining radiance about them. And in granting Moses this radiance, God is exalting him in a way that everybody in that culture would have understood. Kings that claim to be divine made this kind of claim to supernatural radiance, and God is showing this to the children of Israel. This is my mediator. I have chosen him, and I have exalted him in your eyes. So there's some practical significance to Rays of light shooting out of Moses' face. But the striking thing is, is that he didn't know it. He had no idea. I mean, I don't know what time he started climbing down Mount Sinai, but he might have thought, like, well, wow, I you know the path is a lot brighter in front of me. <laughs> you know, oh, what's going on here? He had no idea. And, and there's a certain humility about that. His closeness to God, his communion with God had left him humble, and that's a common experience. When everyone, anyone has a one-on-one encounter with God, whether it's at a retreat up in Prescott at Emmanuel Pines, or whether it's during the worship service here at CC Arrowhead, or even in your own prayer closet at home, you walk out of there just a little more humble, not so, so proud. Um, Now, if I had had that experience, you know, of communion with God, and I come down with my face, well, I'm, hey, I'm headed for Oprah, okay? I'm going to go on there, I'm going to sell a book, okay, and I'm going to go on tour, but no, not Moses, he doesn't even know it, he doesn't even know why everyone is running from him. I've had that experience, (laughs) but not for the same reasons, okay? jerry Riken in his commentary says show me an arrogant spiritual leader and i'll show you a person who has an immature faith and is unfamiliar with the presence of god but show me someone who's dwelling in the presence of god and i'll show you a humble person so here's moses who's been communing with god and and he's he's humble and there's a huge lesson for us in that humility Is true spiritual greatness. All right? James Collins uh, is American researcher, author, and speaker. He said the X factor in great leadership is not personality, it's humility. No matter how charismatic you are, if you turn out to be an arrogant person, prideful, and where you use people you're not going to get a whole lot of respect the x factor is humility look at first peter chapter 5 turn to first peter in the new testament first peter 55 five. know, in verse 5, he's speaking to younger people. Is there any younger people here? If you're younger, yes, there you go. Roy, don't raise your hand. (laughs) Dan, you are in your second childhood. I know that. (laughs) (laughs) It says, likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed. Humility. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, verse 6 humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Humility. God likes humility, he honors those who are humble. Colossians 3.12 tells us, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, and long suffering. I wish more of our leaders understood this. But there's a very thin line between confidence and arrogance. They say confidence smiles while arrogance smirks. Um, In light of the the recent elections, I I got out a book by Chuck Colson um, called um, God and Government. I I highly recommend it. And he talks about his years in working with the Nixon administration. You guys know who (coughs) Chuck Colson is? Um, some of you have probably never heard the name before, but he was Nixon's hatchet man. He was called, he was part of a whole Watergate scandal, which when we look back at it now, and they go, that wasn't really a scandal, was it? <laughs> that is a scandal, but we don't call that a scandal. But anyway, he talked about the egos and the arrogance that would go on in, in power circles. And uh, he and Henry Kissinger, you guys remember that name, Henry Kissinger, right? Very, very famous diplomat and ambassador Secretary of uh, State, wasn't he? Anyway, they got in an argument. Um, they were supposed to call Lyndon Johnson about something, former President Lyndon Johnson. And they were arguing about who's going to make the phone call, because it was a pretty prestigious thing to do, you know. And so Henry says to says, I'll take care of this, I'll call him. And Chuck says, no, 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 I'll, I'll do it, I'll do it. Henry says, no, I'll take care of it, and then Chuck says, I pulled out my trump card, no pun intended here, okay, <laughs> and said, the president ordered me to do that. And then Kissinger goes, well, I'll just call him and reverse that. Okay? And so they, they, they're getting a heated exchange, and they finally said, look, you know, maybe we'll just wait till tomorrow, because it hasn't, doesn't have to be done right now. Can we do that? And they agreed, yes, we can do that. So, okay, but so neither of us are going to call, right? The office, yes, none of us would call. You promise Henry? I promise. Okay, you promise Chuck? I promise. Walked out the door. Chuck says, I called the White House and, uh, to find out. And he says, yep, he says, has anybody, has there been any calls come in in the last few minutes? I go, yeah, Henry Kissinger. He's talking to the president right now. It's all about power. It's all about power. You guys remember George Orwell, right, 1984? Which is, was just a little a few years early now. You know, We're almost there now. The object of power is power. The object of power is power. And once you get it, you want to hang on to it. Tim Keller, uh, Pastor Tim Keller, he, he made the observation that most people get into politics really for altruistic reasons. They really do want to make a difference. They really do want to make life better for people. I know whatever, whatever group that they're associating with, they really want to make a difference. But once they get into power, they uh, realize, first of all, it's not straightforward. There's a lot of compromise that has to occur. And sometimes they compromise their own values to secure a larger deal. And so they become a little disillusioned by it. Uh, that while that's happening, they're also enjoying the perks of power, the popularity, the uh, transportation, the, the the power. Okay, and that becomes intoxicating, and it gets to the point where all of a sudden the only thing that's important is to hold on to power and to get more power. Now, do any of you understand that? (laughs) Okay. Me, I work at humility so I can take pride in my accomplishments and bolster my self esteem. All right. Um, One writer said that we're all tempted to this terrible self consciousness. We are proud of being humble, complacent for being lowly, self congratulatory because we take back seats. In all this, we betray the vanity of our pretensions. Another bunch of hypocrites, all of us, because we're pretending to be humble when our hearts betray us. And that's okay, because, you know, God just wants you to know your heart. And He wants you to know that you know your heart. It is desperately wicked. Who can know it? God can. Um, Charles Haddon Spurgeon says, We are always praying, Lord, make my face to shine. But no Moses never had such a wish. And therefore, when it did shine, he did not know it. He had not laid his plans for such an honor. Let us not set traps for personal reputation. Or even glance at a thought that way. So the cure here is... Um, is to think less of yourselves. Right? To think less. Not to think of yourselves, but to think less of yourselves. All right, let's move on. Back to Exodus 34. Let's look at verse 31, and we see a teaching Moses. Then Moses called to them as they were running away, and Aaron and all the rulers of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them and afterwards the children of israel came near and he gave them as commandments all that the lord had spoken with him on mount sinai so eventually they stopped running and they gather around moses um probably gathered around it by the leaders you know aaron aaron go get them go get them all right joshua chase those guys down over there and bring them back and uh, he began to formally share, okay, this is what the Lord told me up there, guys, and I don't know what you're all freaking out about, okay? And um, by the way, um, he had just spent another 40 days on the mountain fasting and praying, right? he already done this once before. And matter of fact, this is the fourth time he's been on top of that mountain. Well, the mountain's 7,500 feet high, okay? We know that. And that may not be too much, because you could hike it maybe seven or eight hours. But the dude's 80 years old. He's, he, this is a hardy fellow, OK? I don't know if you saw that picture that of the statue that was designed and made by Michelangelo. But Moses is ripped, OK? For an 80-year-old, he, he's got maybe 6% body fat. I mean. He's, <laughs> And his biceps, wow. So at any time, at anyway, you know, they're sitting around Moses, and they're looking at his radiating face, uh, which must have still terrified and amazed them, even though there was no danger for them. And I'm sure Moses had to keep redirecting their attention. Yeah, yeah, Roy, 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 would you quit staring at my face, Roy, all right? Close your mouth, Roy. <laughs> all right. I'm sorry. I I could have used anybody. She used you, Dana. I'm sorry. (laughs) Here was God's prophet speaking the very words of God to them with a face so terrifyingly glorious that no one would doubt that he was relaying to them what he was relaying to them was absolutely true and that he had been personally sent by God to make sure that they knew it. God's Stamp of approval. Now, in light of what is stated in the verses immediately following, it actually might have been hard for the people to look directly at him. All right, I know it would be awkward for me. I would want to stare with my mouth wide open. But it could be that it'd be better if I just turned my head away because there's just something holy about this. Something beyond me, something other, which is totally God. All right, now let's look at verses 33 through 35 and see a veiled Moses and an unveiled Jesus. When Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil on his face. But whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would take the veil off until he came out. And he would come out and speak to the children of Israel, whatever he had been commanded. And whenever the children of Israel saw the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face shone, then Moses would put the veil on his face again until he went in to speak with him, with the Lord. Now, it would be easy to jump to the assumption that Moses is wearing this veil because the people are freaking out when they look at him. Um, it's easy to think that it's there to protect them from seeing this shining face, but Paul gives us a little more—a little more—gives a clearer picture of the whole thing. Turn to uh, Second Corinthians chapter three. Paul takes this as a metaphor. For the fading glory of this covenant that Moses has established with the people. The old covenant had a glory, but it was a fading glory. We have a writing in our government that we cherish. It's a glorious writing. It's called the Constitution, right? We are constitutional that's the document that is the rules. And matter of fact, we have a whole institution of government that has no other job but to interpret that document as an, and apply it to the laws that are being made in our country, right? But um, to some people, that is a fading document. And it has a fading glory to it. Mm-hmm. And they want to have a constitutional convention to rewrite it, you know, in, in light of modern culture and what we know today. All that to say is that the Old Testament has a fading glory as a covenant. Now, the glory of the Old Testament, of the Ten Commandments, the law, is the fact that in ten simple instructions, you can have a whole society flourish. Just ten simple rules. Ten simple rules. And when you abandon those rules and the rule giver, then all of a sudden you you find yourself making up thousands and thousands of rules. Rules that explain the other rules and they die a death of a thousand qualifications, right? You lose the simplicity of it and the easiness of it. So Paul is going to show us that Moses kept the veil on so the people would not see the glory fade. And then he's going to point to a better covenant. Look at verse 7, and I'm going to read to you from the New Living Translation, and I do have the slides up so you can follow along with the version I'm reading from, just so that, you know, if you don't get confused. The old way, verse 7, 2 Corinthians 3, 7, the old way with laws etched in stone, led to death. Though it began with such glory that the people of Israel could not bear to look at Moses' face. For his face shone with the glory of God, even though the brightness was already fading away. Shouldn't we expect far greater glory under the new way, now that the Holy Spirit is giving life? If the old way which brings condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the new way which makes us right with God? In fact, that first glory was not glorious at all compared with the overwhelming glory of the new way. So if the old way which been, has been replaced was glorious, how much more glorious is the new, which remains forever. The law was glorious, and it was evidenced by the glow on Moses' face. So Paul is saying, if the law, which brings condemnation and death, was glorious, how much more glorious will the ministry of the new covenant, the grace of God, which brings justification and eternal life. Comparing the glories. Then in 2 Corinthians 3.12, since this new way gives us such confidence, we can be very bold. We're not like Moses who put a veil over his face so the people of Israel would not see the glory, even though it was destined to fade away. But the people's minds were hardened. And to this day, whenever the Old Covenant is being read, the same veil covers their minds so they cannot understand the truth. Do you understand that when you talk to your relatives and they are totally rejecting what you're saying and they just don't get it, that this is why? Okay, it's like Satan is playing a Jedi mind trick on them. All right, right? this does not make sense. This does not make sense to me. Only God can remove that veil. Um, Yes, even today when they read Moses' writings, their hearts are covered with that veil and they do not understand. I don't know if you've ever had the the privilege and opportunity to share Christ with a Jew. Um, I have, and I can tell you that that's exactly what they kept saying to me. "I don't understand what you're trying to say. It does not make any sense whatsoever. But whenever someone turns to the Lord, verse 16, the veil is taken away. For the Lord is the spirit, and whatever the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom." Now I traveled in some Pentecostal circles, and that's not the way we interpreted that verse. Okay, when we said that there was freedom in the Lord, that meant, you know, dancing around the auditorium dressed in flags or something like that, all right? It got a little weird. No, I'm, I'm serious, that's the liberty, baby, liberty. But there's the freedom, the freedom that you don't have to be tied to the law. You're free now. You're free. So all of us, who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord that's you and me guys the veil's been removed and now we can see it and we can reflect that glory and the Lord who is spirit makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image do you remember when light shot out of Jesus' body do you remember that yeah, the Mount of Transfiguration, right? Peter, James, and John went up with Jesus, and they had that conference with Moses and Elijah, right? And, and Peter, as Peter does, he began to shoot his mouth off, and he was told to hush up. And it says that Jesus' body just began to glow. Not glow, but light was just shooting forth from it. Uh, just amazing. Quite, a, quite an experience. They shut Peter up. All right, and so all of us who have had that veil are already read that verse 18. We We are changed not by programs, not by practices, not by procedures. We are changed by a person. We are changed by looking at Jesus, by spending time with Jesus, learning about him and worshiping him. I know I sound like a broken record, but it all comes back to the same thing. We've got to spend time in the Word daily. We've got to come together for Bible study, corporately. We need to sing songs of adoration, worship, studying, looking at Him. That's when we become more like Him. Okay. It's necessary. It's needful. And then when we exit His presence. Guess what? There's going to be a glow about you. and It's going to be noticeable to others. And some will run away from you, all right? And some will be drawn towards Christ. And that's our job, to point them to Christ, right? Remember what we used to do back in the day, guys? One way, Jesus. That's, yeah, can you do that? Can you raise your hand with one finger? Yeah, thank you. All right. Let's uh, worship team come on up, and I want to give you a uh, a reflection for today. Right now. is the most important moment of this day. Got it? I'm wondering if you have made the journey of Mount Sinai and sat in the presence of the Lord. When's the last time you have? And has God removed that veil from your eyes? And I'm not talking about some great teacher you may have listened to or raising your hand as a child or being baptized. I'm talking about the cross. Do you know him? Do you know Jesus Christ? Is your life being transformed? Are you seeing the change? Do you understand the meaning of the cross? If there's never been a conversion in your life, then you don't know. Because if you have been in the presence of the Lord, you're changed. You are changed. So I'd like you to listen to that inner voice in your heart right now. Let's just bow our hearts, okay? Just bow our hearts and bow our heads, please. Do you have the assurance that that veil has been lifted from your eyes? Are you seeing clearly? Are you being drawn to him or are you running from him? If you don't have that assurance, guys, this is a great time to get it. I'm not gonna hurry through this. We've got an extra few minutes here. This is the most important moment of this day, and certainly of this hour. To know Christ, to be in his presence, to be filled with his spirit. It's like that hymn, Christ be in me, Christ be with me, Christ behind me, Christ before me, Christ beside me, Christ to win me, Christ to comfort, to restore me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ in quiet, Christ in danger, Christ in all the hearts that love me. faith you can receive him and have that veil removed it's nothing in your hands that you bring is simply to the, his cross that you claim and you place yourself before a living holy all pure all clean God and you claim his forgiveness by the sacrifice of his death on your behalf that sounds really profound, but you don't understand it, then I would invite you to wait after the service is over and talk to one of the elders or myself so that we can more fully explain it. But right now, uh, I just want to, to pray. Father, we thank you for your grace, for meeting us where we are and giving us what we didn't earn or could ever deserve. You've made it impossible to pay you back. Coming by faith, alone, by Christ alone, we have found that light that was so desperately needed, the light of Christ who will forgive our days of un breakable habits, of irredeemable desires, of ugly actions, and shameless deeds. Thank you for your grace. I pray for those who hear these words today, wherever they may be. Whatever may be going on in their lives, I pray you will stop them and bring them To the place where they can have that veil removed. where They can be cleansed. And they can be justified. And have a reason to go on. Where Christ can take the place of self. And joy take the place of emptiness and loneliness. Thank you, Father, for those who have come to Christ now. Strengthen them in the beginning of their walk with you. And cause this passage to remind us of how to walk with you in the light of your word. Help us to pay attention to the things that matter most. The things that are within rather than those things that are now unto him who is able all glory to God who is able to keep you from falling away and will bring you with great joy into his glorious presence without a single fault all glory to him who alone is God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord Glory, majesty, power, and authority are his before all time, and in the present, and beyond all time. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Amen. Be glad to talk with anybody who has some questions about their walk, wherever you may be. (coughs) Our elders are here. Roy, raise your hand. Dave, are you in here? Dave, in the back. Vince. Larry, back at the table. Myself. Marilyn is here. Yes, Marilyn, are you? Hi, Marilyn. Sorry. I can only see out of one eye. And Teresa is here too. Yes. No, she's in the nursery. Okay. Anyway, any of us would be honored to help you with your spiritual journey. So don't leave here if you have needs. Let's all stand.